Uh, good evening, everybody. I want to welcome to you to the Mauer Report. I've got an interesting guest tonight, uh, David Hay Haywire Hayward. Jeez, of Pete's Haywire. This show is probably going to get Haywire. I guess is what I'm thinking. Uh, AKA the Naked Pastor, NakedPastor.com. David, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Actually, Haywire is one of my nicknames growing <laughs> up. So. I was going to say it, it must be because sometimes I, I jumped. I've just figured those things out. So the Naked Pastor. Um, well, obviously you're clove today. So where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jim, for having me on your show. And hello, everyone. Uh, Naked Pastor. Um, I started blogging as a pastor when I it was around 2004 or five. And but I wanted my blog to be different. So I wanted to just lay it all out there. Um, just expose the life real life of a pastor, what really goes on in a church behind the scenes. So I wanted to sort of peel back the curtain, let people see what really goes on in in my life as a pastor and in the life of the church. So <clears throat> that's why I called it Naked Pastor. It's just me being open and honest and transparent and vulnerable and raw and real. Uh, and and I, I took that name around the time when Naked Chef, Naked Archaeologist, Naked Truth, all those things were pretty popular. So, uh, and, you know, um, once in a while I've regretted the name, but it's stuck and it, I guess it's here to stay. <laughs> wait, wait, before we get too far, there's, there's things behind the scenes of churches that people would be surprised about. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so when did you leave being a pastor and what, what spurred that? 2010. So, you know, I, yeah. I grew up in the church and, you know, went to. Bible college seminary got ordained the whole works and served the church professionally for about 30 years and then left in 2010 and that's when I decided to see if I could make naked pastor a full-time gig and so uh, I, guess I guess I missed the question there what did your church think of your blog or did they know well uh at first you know I pretty much flew under the radar because you know I, I just started blogging and and they're like why would we read your blog we already have to listen to you every week already <laughs> so it was like uh it, it didn't you know it was totally under the radar i wasn't making a splash but then when i started drawing the cartoons and naked pastors started getting a little bit more popular and known and people started talking about it that's what when it started getting me in trouble yeah okay how, getting you in trouble how because you're doing it out of a place of faith and well, it's because I'm just trying to you know, I'm trying to detail it for the listeners who may not yeah, have a clue. Who um, so, my I think one of my most primary drives is the freedom to uh, be my authentic self and to express that. And so, I am a curious person. I'm constantly studying, researching, inquiring, questioning, doubting, and you know just that alone was pushing the boundaries of what, uh, you know, a real pastor minister should do, or even a believer, you know, for that matter. And um, so, uh, you know, up to this point, I'd felt pretty comfortable in the church and felt that, you know, I had room to grow at, in the direction I wanted to. But then it, it got to a point where I realized I was crossing some lines that people were uncomfortable with. Uh, you know, just stretching, stretching the boundaries of what belief is and, you know, certain beliefs like about God or the church or Christianity or religion or, you know, all that kind of thing. So um, I, I just got to a point, I guess, where people believed I wasn't orthodox enough to to um, continue on in that way. So that's when I left. Yeah. It's probably a good good segue to get out of there before it gets... Um... You get burned at the stake. Bad pun. Yeah. <laughs> so then you, you you started down this journey. Do you have any regrets about doing it before we get? I mean, it's been thirteen years now, so you must be. Uh... Yes. Yeah, no, it's thirteen years now, and uh, I no no regrets. It was it was a perfect decision at a perfect time. So, um, you know, it's. I don't see it as a, um, on the one hand, there was a severance from, you know, ministry in that way, but I feel like I actually released myself 
into a greater, a larger field. And I, I feel a lot more freedom to do what I actually love to do. And that's just to help people along in their own particular journeys, wherever they are. And so that to me, I feel have, I have more freedom to do that. Um, and rather than being confined uh, to a local congregation, I, I can do this for people around the world now. Yeah. So you have, because like with the show, I get emails from people uh, from Brazil and every once in a while I'll get a random one. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forget. I'm worldwide all the time. And then you get yeah. one of those messages and go, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of my, my, well, my, my most popular city in the world, according to my stats is Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I have a ton of, of fans there. So it's, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all around the world. So it's, it's kind of cool. I like it. So what, cause I, I mentioned deconstruction to you right before we started. So I guess I, I, when I first heard the word, I was like, Oh yeah. You know, that, that stigma that goes with that. And then I read a little bit and I seen some videos on TikTok during, um, you know, COVID cause that's all we, everybody did was sit there and scroll TikTok for yeah. Yeah. days. Yeah, I think I, set, I think I set the world record like four days in a row. Now, <laughs> and I realized that when they, you know I, I found some people that were talking about deconstruction, I'm like, oh wait, that isn't you know the bad thing that I thought it was. And then I f- started thinking, well, wait a second, I've already kind of done this mm-hmm. years ago before it was cool, because mm-hmm. I started look, I started looking at the paranormal stuff and you know spiritual things, and I was like, oh wait, I was doing this before it was cool. Yeah. So maybe this isn't such a, a brutally bad thing because mm-hmm. I mean, there are people in my former home church that were like, oh, no, no, nope. go to hell. Get yeah. away from those demons. And I'm like, I haven't even seen a demon yet. What is it? What is a demon? It's bad. <laughs> no, you know, like it's just bad. Just bad. Don't worry about it. Just bad. Just trust me. I'm like, well, have you ever seen one? No, bad. Like, you know, like no, yeah. shut the conversation down in a hurry. So, yeah. So I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, I'm sure most people, 99.9% of people aren't coming from it from the place that I did, but there is something to that because if you grew up in the church and were just set to believe whatever, it, it takes you on a ride when yeah. you get to the age of reason and start thinking about things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, I, I started talking I started about deconstruction about- um, way back in 2006, seven, eight. I I was studying philosophers, uh, hermeneutics, uh, including Jacques Derrida from uh, France, the French philosopher who actually coined the term deconstruction. But when I I was reading about deconstruction, I I realized, hey, this is a perfect uh, word and explanation for what I was experiencing in my spiritual life. Uh, And that is the questioning of everything. Everything was being questioned. And I just, I, I sort of co-opted that word to describe the spiritual journey I was on. Um, and then I, I started sharing that with other people. Um, and eventually, I even started an online community uh, called The Lasting Supper in 2012 based on deconstruction. And uh, man, that's 11 years ago. And it's still <laughs> going. And, and so wh- what, what, um, I was trying to describe by using the word deconstruction is actually something that's always been going on. And that's just spiritual growth. That's just people asking questions about their adopted beliefs, their inherited faith. <clears throat> and it's just a natural human process and a healthy one at that. And so I just use the word deconstruction to describe it. Um, it's nothing new. It's been going on since the beginning of spiritual you know, spirituality uh, and religion and Christianity and the church. The, the difference is now, um, well, it's not that much of a difference, but some, you know, kind of similarities and differences is that uh, it used to be, and it still is for some, that if you started questioning your beliefs, you kept that to yourself because you knew the ramifications were going to be, you were going to be criticized or corrected or, excommunicated or, you know, whatever, um, or you, uh, you know, or you, you, you asked those questions and suffered the same thing. So people knew you either needed to keep it to yourself or not go there at all, or 
you know, question out loud and, and suffer for it. And, and that's still going on today. So it's, it's always been that way. It's always been that way for thousands of years. And we're just calling it something different now. I'm, I'm calling it deconstruction. And, uh, you know, uh, whether it's cool or not, I, what I think has happened is that people have more courage and space to be able to do it out loud. And um, it's, it's not a shameful or um, shocking or, uh, you know, uh, such a terrible thing anymore to actually go through this process. Now, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty sure you won't, but I just have to, you know, load it this way. I'm, I'm grateful to see my elders have some of the same questions I have. Because there for a long time, it was always just a young man who, you know, needs needs more Bible study and all this other stuff, yeah. right? When you see a whole group of people, especially people who, again, are elders and who have been, I mean, you've been a pastor for, well, 40 years. Yeah. For you to still have questions makes me feel a little bit better about, you know, my questions because mm-hmm. I haven't been alive 40 years yet, right? So <laughs> it's always good to see that you don't even have it figured out yet. Well, no, and I don't plan to. Like, that's the point for me. Deconstruction is a way of life. It's it's uh, it's not a phase. It's not a season. So for me, deconstruction is a posture towards life, which is one of sincere questioning. And, and that's something that I want to do until the day I die, where I don't just assume and consume everything that's fed to me. I'm going to question everything. Um you know, I just finished reading Isaacson's uh, biography of uh, Albert Einstein, and Albert Einstein came up with the theory of relativity that really ruled the world for quite a while until the quantum physicists came along with all their chaos, and uh, <laughs> he he couldn't accept that there was just chaos. He felt at the root of it all, there had to be some unifying theory that held it all together, and he held on to that until the day he died. And, and that's my kind of attitude about deconstruction is um, we don't know. We might not be able to see, but we reserve the right to question everything until until the day we die and not accept uh, everything that's fed to us hook, line and sinker. So for me, uh, deconstruction is a way of life. Absolutely. So, I seen a church sign the other day. It made me laugh so hard I almost wrecked my car, which probably isn't a good thing, but, you know. <laughs> It happens. It says, it said, the Bible doesn't need rewrote. It just needs rewritten. I'm like, yeah, but who wrote it the first? You're not reading the first, the first version of it, unless you're reading the, the ancient text. And I'm pretty sure that you're not. Yeah. I was in that church at one point and they had the King James. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, rewrote. King James. Oh yes, that's a great, <laughs> a great measure of things that were wrote correctly. That's why it's often so hard. It was I, bad. I, yeah, I, I don't understand that. What What do they mean? It doesn't need to be rewrote. It needs to be rewritten. Well, I'm I'm thinking because you know everybody's you know so woke these days and you know need to be accepting of this that and the other, but it actually just needs to be rewrote, reread, and understood oh, the way it was meant. Yeah. Re-read. Sorry. Reread. Ah. I gotcha. Well, I, I was just, you know what? One of my one of my most popular and one of my most offensive cartoons is uh, I have an equation: the Bible plus your interpretation equals your interpretation, <laughs> and that's always true. And that's that's part of the whole deconstruction theory. Uh, the philosophy is that no matter what you have in front of you, no matter what the text is, it's impossible. To, for the text to be completely objective and for you to be completely objective. Your, the Bible plus your interpretation, you always end up with your interpretation. There's, you know, when people say the Bible says it, or no, uh, the Bible says it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it, or something like that. Like, no, no. It always comes down to interpretation. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I that that it doesn't need to be reread. What what it means is, you know, we have 500 members in our congregation. You're going to have 500 interpretations. <laughs> <laughs> At least, 
Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I've read stuff, you know, because the, the internet's a great thing. So you get, what is it, BibleGateway.com, and they'll give you the different translates. So I'll read something one way, and then I'll read it in something else. I'll be like, oh, wait, that changed, that changes everything. And now, so I have two interpretations of the same verse, which yeah. is oh so helpful. No, because <laughs> then you start yeah. debating which one, which one's right. And if it's from the least, you know, because you, you have your favorite translation or favorite version, you go, oh, I, you know, and then you read the other one, you go, well, I like that better. Now, do I need to rework at everything? <laughs> so you mentioned the cartoons. So you mentioned doing them. How, how many have you done? There's got to be thousands. Yeah, over 4,500 now. Yeah. Wow. And you know what? Um, more than half aren't any good. Um, half are all half are all right. Half of those are good, and half of those are darn good, and half of those are brilliant. So you know, um, out of forty five hundred, there might be. Well, I just did. I just came out this last summer with uh, my best of cartoon book, and there's about one hundred and thirty cartoons in there that I had to distill down from forty five hundred cartoons. So out of a forty five hundred, there's about one hundred and thirty that made it into that book of my best of. So yeah, I've been busy drawing cartoons since 2006. So 18 years I've been drawing cartoons now. It's just like doing a show, right? There's uh, ones that you think are good. And then there's ones that other people think are good. And then there's ones that are actually good that people both, you know, everybody agrees on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, on Instagram where I think that's where my most active community is. Um, I'm, I've, I've got a new series now called Sexy Sunday, where I address the purity culture, you know, the whole purity culture thing around sex and everything. And um, so my cartoons on Sunday morning are addressing that. And it's about sex. So uh, yesterday's hey, cartoon. Sex, sex smells, so just keep doing it. No. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, here you go, though. Um, yesterday, I lost about 150 followers over that cartoon. So... You know, um, but at the same time, it's one of my most viewed and liked cartoons. So there's like almost 5,000 people liked it, but I lost 150 followers over it. So this is the challenge that I'm facing. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm hearing from people though, who've been affected by purity culture, who find these cartoons really, really liberating and, and helpful and healing. Um, but um, there's still a, a, a big religious sort of a, uh, attitude out there that you know uh sex is uh dirty and we shouldn't be talking about it in public is that the biggest loss that you've taken from a cartoon because i've seen some that made me you know not kind of made me laugh but i'm like oh he went there <laughs> that's, that's always my problem eh? i always go there uh this this one i noticed um there's there's been others uh i'll tell you um, my, the cartoons that, um, cause the most, uh, offense, I think are my LGBTQ ones, um, my feminist ones and ones that question orthodox, you know, orthodoxy, theology, the Bible, you know, um, things like that. And, and, uh, sex, you know, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't get their problems, but again, I've kind of, of devolved from all that and just kind of learned to take love as love and move on. But it seems that some people, well, obviously haven't, but that's okay. <laughs> you also have, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it it's uh, when we when we deconstruct when we question our beliefs. Like I don't believe in progressive Christianity. Like uh, it's okay. But what what we're doing when we are when with progressive Christianity is that we're just rearranging the furniture on a sinking ship. That's my opinion. Whether or not you agree with that, it doesn't matter. What my point is that progressive Christianity, which and it will always exist um, as we continually progress, you know, uh, th th that's just rearranging the furniture. Deconstruction is like the word sounds. It, there's something destructive about it. Deconstruct. It's where we tear things down um, to the very, very basics. Like I say, it's like Marie Kondoing our faith, where we get right down to the minimal basics. 
uh, if that even. And so um, what I find with progressive Christianity is that there's still that lingering religious attitude. Well, you can go this far, but no further, or you still need to believe this in order to belong and, you know, all that. I, I question all that. I go, I go right to the root. Which is good because, like you said, I mean, if, if you put lipstick on lips, lick, yeah, <laughs> lipstick on a pig, you still have a pig, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that's 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 another analogy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Um, I tried progressing, and it never it never worked for me. I try I've tried reform, um, you know my whole Christian life and I found it never worked. Uh, um, I think reform is for the privileged and I've come to that conclusion. Reformed is for the privileged um, revolution though, death and resurrection. That's of a, a, a more biblical concept. I think when it comes to um, transformation, transformation, and uh, that's harder to embrace, more difficult to experience, too. So what does deconstruction mean for the big C church, the church as a whole? Because I'm sure it makes them uncomfortable. As uh, Well, we're, yeah. yeah, we're seeing a lot of people defending the church against deconstruction, and they're labeling deconstruction as, you know, as cool or sexy or, 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 you know, um, the, the devil's attempt to um, dismantle the church and all that. Look, I'm not against the church. I, I love the church. The church, you know, in many ways helped me, uh, provided me with a, a concept of community that I never would have had otherwise. And, um, you know, the, I call the church my spiritual mother. And, and, but I can't, I, can't, I can't live in the same house with my mother anymore. I needed to move on, but so I, I'm not against the church, but can we please do it in a healthy manner? That's all I request. That's all I ask. And so um, that's what I think deconstruction um, should be challenging the church to figure out a way to open up its mind, open up its heart and opens up its hands and its arms to embrace people who are going through significant transformation and asking serious questions. If the church can provide space for that, I think it'll 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 do much better in the future. Oh well, you assume they're willing to change and beat throw tradition out the window, and you know as well as I do, some some folks will never get rid of tradition just because. You know what? I don't I don't mind traditions. Like I don't like the whole thing about buildings. Well, some of them. Some yeah. of them. <laughs> buildings and, and staff and pastors and um, paying electrical bills and uh, worship teams and smoke and mirrors and incense and robes and holy water and stained glass and like I, all that I don't care about that's all just style to me I don't care about all that stuff as long as we can have healthy community in those different contexts, that's what matters to me. So, you know, I'm not here to promote a certain way of doing church or worship or how to dress or whether you should have a building or whether you should meet in a home or all this kind of stuff. I don't care about any of that. For me, it's whatever kind of a, a context or, or ethos or whatever it is, uh, style polity, liturgy, whatever it is, if you can have a safe place for people to grow, that's what matters. But that's what the church is unwilling to provide, I find. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the, the best of book, but that means there's eight other books floating around. So let's go through some of those. What what, what else you've wrote? I mean, you've got the blog, but I'm assuming there's got to be some, mm. some dingers out there for people to pick up. I have, uh, well, my first book is Naked Pastor 101. So that was published quite a while ago. I've got um, my Sophia uh, series in a book called The Liberation of Sophia. Um, I've got a book about money. Money is spiritual. 
I got a book about deconstruction called The Lasting Supper, Letters for Deconstruction, letters I wrote to my Lasting Supper community about deconstruction. Um, I've got another book, uh, Flip It Like This, which is my um, best of. I got another book, Questions Are the Answer, which is basically my journey and explaining how questions are uh, a healthy way to live one's spirituality. Um, uh, what else do I have? Oh, I have one on uh, uh, Without a Vision, My People Prosper, about the dangers of visionary thinking on the church. And um, I'm working on a new one that's coming out next year, a children's book. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. So, and more. yeah, more. Oh, yeah. As I say, I'm sure you're working on five. You're probably working on something right now that I can't see, but you're just kind of doodling as we know. <laughs> yeah, constantly working. Yeah, but I'm having fun. Um, you you mentioned money, and of course, you mentioned money twice. Paying the bills plus, you know. Yeah. There are there are some. I won't name the name. You know, there's a guy down there in Houston that has the four jets or two jets or whatever it is in the big arena full of people. Because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, not being slandering or liable of him, but he, you know, has more. It seems he has more money than he should. I mean, that's their agreement, whatever. But I mean, that money could go help other people. What do you feel about that type of ministry? Um, again, uh, you know, when it when it we can talk about style and and theology and um, money and cars and jets and you know boats all that mansions <laughs> to me you know yeah there are for me it's how you treat people it comes down to how others are treated and um so when you have huge ministries that are nested in the midst of poverty and so on. That for me is is problematic. Um, but when when you have uh, it, when you have a, a group of people willing to uh, support their their pastor extravagantly with money, that's their business. <laughs> that's their business. Like if they want to do that, okay, go go do that. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not critiquing. I think there's more important things going on. Uh, that I, I'm interested in. There's people going after, uh, you know, prosperity gospel people and, and that whole thing. And, you know, bless them, go for it. I'm more concerned with the spiritual development and, and the freedom of individuals in any context, whether they're going to a prosperity gospel church or to a home church or whether they're atheist or, or whatever, I don't care. I'm more interested in the personal freedom and the ability for each and every person to find and express their most authentic self. So that for me is my priority. I used Which to, is, you know, I used to go after, you know, you know, all that stuff, all that stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's for me more important things at stake right now. So let's dive back into deconstruction because or sure. that thought, because I'm sure there's somebody out there listening to us going, I have no idea what they're talking about. Where where would I even start? Maybe I'm interested, but maybe I'm not. So what what's like the first question somebody should ask themselves to see if they're ready? Yeah, here's one of the misconceptions about deconstruction, and that's that you can plan to do it. I think deconstruction <laughs> happens to you. It creeps up on you and and ambushes you. That's decon. You can't say, um, "I think I'm going to start deconstructing tomorrow." That that I've never ever seen that, uh, and that certainly wasn't my experience. Like I said, I was 12 years in the mind before I realized I was even doing it. So I was just playing that yeah, out for I people. Mine started on the day of my graduation from seminary when I realized I wasn't sure I believed in the inspiration of scripture. And that to me was absolutely devastating. It was a cataclysmic moment when I, I because the Bible to me was the undergirding, the foundation of everything I believed. 
And when that was taken away, it was like the rug was pulled out from under me and I lost my balance and I lost my perspective and I lost my certainty. And, and so for me, it was a, an attack, a surprise attack, an ambush. And uh, I had to spend, you know, I spent the next decades trying to figure that out. And so, you know, if somebody's out there saying, I wonder if I should deconstruct or not, you're not ready yet. You're not ready. It's, it, it, but it'll happen to you and you still won't be ready. It'll be, it, you'll wake up one, one morning or something will happen to you when you'll say, geez, I don't know if I believe in God. Or I, I don't know if I believe in the Bible, or I don't know if I believe that Jesus was a historical human being, etc. And it'll devastate you. My, I feel my role is to help you get through that um, joyfully and healthily. So that that's that's what I'm here for. Let's go back to you, though. I mean, you just graduated. You're probably headed out to a church to start preaching, and you feel more lost than when you started school. Yeah, uh, it, it was um, it was totally devastating. In fact, my wife had to grab me by the shoulders and say, David, you've got to go to your graduation ceremony. I had my robe on and everything like I was ready to graduate. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I, I, I don't know if I believe in the inspiration of scripture. So for me, uh, you know, I was going to continue on in my studies. I was going to get a Ph.D. in New Testament and become a New Testament scholar. That was my goal. Um, that got derailed after some time. That's another story in and of itself. But um, it took took me a long time to integrate that and uh, and to figure that out while I was in the ministry. So it was, uh, yeah, quite a journey, a long one. For me, it was so like a glacial melt. It was it was almost like a corrupt computer code was inserted into my brain and uh, it just started doing its work, you know, started corrupting my theology. <laughs> so and, besides, your wife, besides your wife, did you tell anybody or did you battle it internally? Uh, yeah, there was nobody to tell. It was an, an internal thing. For, now, my reaction to it wasn't like some people I've been duped. This has all been a lie. I reject it all and I'm leaving. Some people do that. Some people do the the opposite. They're like, la, 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 la. I never thought that thought. And I'm just going to forget it ever happened and just continue on. My approach was I got to figure this out. Because up to now, this has had great value to me and has made me who I am so far. So I'm not willing to chuck it. 100%, but neither am I willing to, you know, believe it 100%. I have to figure out how to integrate this in a way that makes sense. And so I spent the next, you know, 30 years trying to figure out how to integrate that experience. So where did you end up at? I guess we need to put a bow on that. So, well, I, uh, you know, this happened in 1983. That's a long friggin' time ago. That's a long time ago. 1983, that happened, my graduation. And then um, 2009, after all those years of theological angst and torment, I had an experience where I just saw the oneness of all things. It all came together like a puzzle. All of a sudden, like a final piece was missing and it just clicked into, into view. And I saw the connection of all things, the interconnectivity, the oneness, the unity of all things. And it was like my theological anguish disappeared like that. And I had peace of mind and it's never left. It was a real deal, man. And, 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 and it, 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 I, I left there realizing, you know, all that theology and all that, that's one way of trying to understand the great mystery that we call the universe around us. And um, yeah, it was just a very peaceful resolution to a long, hard struggle. And yet, and then that precipitated my, that precipitated me leaving the ministry though, a year later. I was just thinking that because 2009 means 2010, you're leaving the ministry after you've had this great experience. Yeah. It would have seemed that you would have doubled down then. Because well, it finally did. 
little bit I'm a little bit naive. I think people are uh, excited as excited as I am about things I've I come to realize. And so I was sharing this experience on my blog and talking about the oneness of all things and that how, you know, all these religions and all these languages, everything, it's all a perspective on the one. There's only one reality, but there's many understandings of that reality and many languages to explain that understanding, etc. And it offended a lot of people, including the denomination I worked for. And I knew my time was up. And sure enough, uh, within the year, um, I felt compelled to leave the ministry. But you could have went somewhere else. I'm sure somebody else would have took you on. I mean, I obviously, I know you have this other thing going, but again, you just had this transformative moment where you... you it was a very... To- yeah, it was a very transformative moment. Um, and I, I realized then, like up to that point, I've always found a church that could... Uh, a bigger box for me. And then I, but this moment made me realize there is no box. I don't need a box. And I, I walked away uh, a free person. And um, yeah, I made the right decision. I could have looked. Oh, I'm not questioning making the right decision or not. I'm just saying in the moment, I had to have been of a little bit of angst because well, you're walking into something that, right? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was terrifying, but I'd done it before. I had done it before back in 95 where I left the ministry and realized that when I do something that takes care of myself and is liberating for me and uh, I, I, I came to discover that when you take that kind of a step of faith, I'm not talking religiously, just that step of faith, the, the ground rises to meet you and it always has. And it did this time as well. That's a big step, though. I mean, I hear you, and I I could see the result now. But I'm thinking I've got my 2010 shoes on, and I'm thinking, boy, yeah, I had to look either Grand Canyon up or Moon. De- uh, wait, Grand Canyon down, Moon up. That step that's going to rise up to meet you. Yeah, because that's a big step, especially in two. I mean, yeah. everybody wants an influencer today, or whatever the title is. So I don't know. Yeah, well, but look. I discovered, I discovered in 95, um, I, I was in the ministry. I was in the Presbyterian church. I hated my job. I, I felt trapped by the salary, by the, by the uh, minister house I was living in. Um, my wife was working. Our kids were in school. Uh, I felt totally trapped and totally hopeless. But I woke up one morning realizing, hey, I'm not trapped. I'm just afraid of the consequences of living free. Yeah, there are risks. I'm going to lose my pay. I'm going to lose my house. We're going to have to move. We're going to have to figure out what to do next. Um, It was very frightening, but that's what was holding me back. I wasn't trapped at all. I was just afraid of, of living free. And that was a huge lesson for me. So that in 2010, when I was faced with the same choices, I realized, okay, I'm not trapped. I'm just afraid, okay? And there's a huge difference. And so I walked away and I said, things will work out. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get, let's, let's dive back into that there for a minute though, because there is something to the minister's family that we all take for granted, right? That's yeah. the life that you chose. And then you have kids and they make friends in the communities. And then, oh, you get the call to go to a town uh how far ever away obviously not close so they get uprooted new school new friends new da, 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 da. Uh, that's that's going to be i don't want to say traumatic because that kind of is big but it's kind of big enough for the word i'm thinking of so how did yeah. you, i mean how did the family deal with all that i um lisa and i when we left the ministry that time in 95 it our kids were young like they were all under seven years old, three of them. Um, we embarked upon one of the greatest adventures of our lives and we had a ball. It was, it was so much fun. And then we ended up in a church here where I ended my ministry. Finally in 96, I became the pastor in, in 96. Uh, the pastor was leaving and asked if I would take over. And I said, sure. 
and um, and we we had a wonderful time. It was a wonderful season of our lives. So, um, the time I left the ministry in 2010, though, our kids were all adults by this time, and they were all on their own. So uh, I I do get it though. There there is trauma, and our kids always talk about you know. Uh, I've lived so many times. I've, I've moved so many times in my life. Most of their friends have never moved away from, you know, the yeah. town they live in or whatever, but they've moved around quite a bit. And, <laughs> and uh, on the one hand, they, they think, you know, it would have been nice to be in one place my whole life. But on the other hand, they, they all love to travel. They're not afraid of moving and uprooting and changing. And, you know, um, so, it it's uh you know pluses and negatives to to all that but my wife and i we tried to be the joyful constant in all of those situations and i think that's what makes the difference and and it's like it's it's sort of like um uh parents who are worried about their kids uh if they get a divorce look you want your kid to grow up in a really unhappy home where there's fighting and tension and, and depression and unhappiness and, you know, all this, or would you rather them grow up with you separate and happy? You know, uh, I think, so I, I think that's the same with kids in ministry. Um, as long as you provide a, a happy family context for them, I think kids are pretty pliable. So let's, let's drill down one more time into this preacher's kids because they are the worst. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Because, because I mean, they come in and they don't really know everybody and they feel they can get away with more. Right. Am I, am I saying that wrong or. Uh, well, ours, ours never did. I mean, you know, our kids, I, 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 I never uh, experienced that in our, in our lives, Maybe, but somebody might have. <laughs> but um yeah we we just tried to be normal people you know we we never lived above or separate from our people we tried to live amongst them as them and uh just be a part of the family um as we travel together i never tried to pastor from the top down or out front or anything i, I just tried to live amongst people and saying hey I don't know any better than you do. We're going to travel this together and, you know, we're going to work this out together. So to me, it was that kind of a democratic community. You know? Which is probably why the, the new community, the, the naked pastor community is so successful because you come at it from us. One of us who are on this. Yeah, I hope so. That's journey. Oh, I'm telling you. There's oh, okay. no, that wasn't no. <laughs> I, appre I appreciate your, your, what you share and make makes you know again more questions than answers which is which which was uh, helpful right yeah 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 and that that's what i i try to convey is that like like my book questions are the answer um i don't have your answers what i'm trying to encourage you is your questions are valid you know and and to provide a safe space for you to express those Including, you don't have my, I didn't have my act together. Like I just did a video the other day where I said, uh, I don't have my shit together. And um, that's, you know, that's just truth. And nobody does. And um, just to embrace that, you know, reality, I think is fundamental to our um, spiritual and mental health. Wait, you don't have answers to my question. Why do they book you for an interview then? <laughs> right. What's wrong with me? I, yeah. I, oh, I should know better at this point in my career than. Oh, um. So, what is the most common thing that people like? Uh, you you get a lot of complaints, but that's yeah. not what I'm looking for. Like the most, uh, the better questions that you get about this. Like, I, you know, I was blown away to find out the Gospels weren't but wrote by guys named Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. You know, like mm -hmm. when I first heard that, it kind of took some, well, it took a lot of wind out of the sales, right? Because then you start questioning whatever, everything else. Yeah. What are the, the questions you get most often that make you go, I'm doing the right thing here? 
Um, well, not, not so much questions as, uh, you know, I get, I get emails and messages from people every day who are just so grateful like, uh, that they, number one, they don't feel alone. They realize that there's a lot of other people going through the same thing they're going through. And so they're not weirdos. They're not crazy. They're not going insane. You know, they're not backsliding. They're not perverted. They're not, you know, whatever. They're just, they're just healthy human beings trying to figure things out like the rest of us. And it's very validating and encouraging to them. So that, and affirming. So for me that I, I hear from people every day thanking me for that. Um, when I, when I get questions from people like, but, but, but the Bible says this, why are you saying that when the Bible says this, then I realize this is the religious um, attitude, the religious mind that it, it's just um, got rules baked into it. And when it sees something that's contrary to it, they, it doesn't compute. It doesn't fit. And, and, and so it doesn't belong. And so, uh, you know, um, th that, that counts for women in ministry, that counts for uh, LGBTQ inclusion, that counts for um, different um, uh, romantic relationship uh, expressions, that counts for people of color, that counts for all kinds of children, you know, uh, ministry, you name it. Um, if it doesn't fit into that religious catalog, then it, it just can't be assimilated. And, 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 and so they, I get that a lot too. It's like, well, what about, you know, Leviticus, blah, 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 blah. And, <laughs> and I realized, you know, there's, there's really no point in, in going there with them. Um, you got to get to that point like you did. And like I did when you realize, oh my goodness, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you, and when you realize that, you realize you're on a slippery slope where everything then about the Bible gets questioned, you know, uh, and, and that, that's a scary place to be because where does that end, right? It's a bottomless pit. Yeah, it doesn't end. It's like, it's no, like it's the matrix. It's like yeah. the matrix. Take the blue or the red pill, you know, and see how far down the rabbit hole you go. And that's exactly what uh, deconstruction's like, if you take it seriously. Yeah, and that's where it gets fun, right? Because then you start wondering: is the is it's not a rule book; it's a guidebook. And then you once you say that out loud, your life really changes. Yeah. Even then, I'm not even sure it's a guidebook. To be honest with you, I mean, you know, there, the Bible, um, you know, has great poetry. I think it has some history. I think it has um, uh, some great stories. I think it has some great expressions uh, that uh, are, are expressions from that day and age of how the world might, the world might you know, you know. Uh, it's, 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 it does have some advice and, and, and some guidelines and things. But generally speaking, I think it's a, just a huge collection of writings by men, yes, men, uh, that um, that were canonized by men, uh, their attempts to articulate in the best way they knew how with the tools that they had and the mentality they had and the worldview that they had to figure out what the heck's going on in this universe. And, and um, I think that's what the Bible is, is a collection of that. Maybe I'll, I'm going to downgrade it right now because you just made me think of this as you were talking. It's not, it's not a guidebook. It is Ikea furniture directions. Only parts of it you understand, but you can... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And hopefully you come out come out with the right thing when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, because that's that's ooh, that's heavy when you think about that for just just a second. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how how often do you draw then? I mean, are you still let's let's break down your your time. You've got writing and draw what what are you doing these days? Yeah, I, I draw every day. I'm working on stuff every day. So I'm 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 drawing cartoons every day. I'm painting every day. I'm writing every day. I'm making videos every day. I'm you know um, working on books every day. I am interacting with people every day. 
um, you know, on Instagram, TikTok, uh, email, direct messaging, um, Twitter. I'm on all the social media, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok, YouTube. I, I'm building my YouTube channel, you know, so it's it's like I, I have a lot to do. Um, but the, the thing is, I'm having fun doing it. It's things I'm passionate about. And um, I just I'm having a lot of fun. So it's uh, what I do with my time. My wife is a full time palliative care nurse. So uh, I have a lot of time to myself and uh, that's, I fill it with uh, creative stuff. So what do you do to disconnect then? Yeah, I, not... I, that's an important thing. One of the, one of my big challenges is to get out of my head. And um, when I'm not creating stuff, I, I'm doing my breathing. I'm doing my cold shower. I'm doing my uh, runs I'm, I'm doing my push-ups and pull-ups and weights. Um, I'm going for forest bathing. You know, I'm, I'm walks in the woods, uh, taking care of my dog, you know, uh, cooking, drinking nice wine, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Lisa and I love spending time together and, um, you know, doing what we do. And the dog dog takes priority over creative too. So, I mean, he just lives his own little best life. <laughs> Yeah. Or is that just my dog? It seems like when I have the best moment of thought and I'm trying to write something down, it's time to go out. Forget forget what you're up to. <laughs> yeah, we have a great dog. She's a little Westy and um she she's great. Fits right in. It's good. Okay, so oh boy, we got about eight minutes left. Where did time go? Oh no, um, no. <laughs> so Besides all this, has social media made it easier? For, I mean, because you started back in the day when things were really simple, right? 2008, yeah. 2004. Has all this stuff made it easier for you or harder for you? Because it's I know for me, like it's harder because you mentioned a dozen sites to try to get to and do things on. Is that – go ahead. You know what I'm saying. Well, social media, well, social media. it's a mixed blessing, right? Like um, um, social media – is very helpful for getting my stuff out there and my message or, you know, my art and all that. At the same time, it's, it can be really frustrating because you're depending on social media and whatever algorithms they decide to employ or launch on any given day. So for me, it's, it's both uh, a privilege, you know, to be able to use social media and a very deep frustration trying to figure it out all the time. So I remember back in the day when I would show a painting of mine online and thousands of people would see it. But, you know, now the algorithms are made in such a way that it's just not that way anymore. And I got to figure out ways to to get my message out there and so on. So it's it's constant effort, constant work trying to figure out how to how to make this work. But for me, social media overall has been a win because uh, it connects me with people all over the world. Uh, I'm, I'm talking with people, I'm sure, in just about every country in the world. And uh, it's just such a privilege and an honor for me. And uh, I've made, I've never met these people face to face, but I've got real friends. You know, I know if I went to Australia, I'd have places to stay. Or if I went to uh, um, um to South Africa or to Brazil or to the UK or to Germany or to Denmark or wherever there's people who would put me up, you know? And so it's, it's, it's really, really cool. I think that's really cool. <coughs> so we spent a good part of the first part of the year talking about AI and schools and mm-hmm. all these different things. But as a, we have, we didn't really talk to a creative about it. Because you know this AI art thing is sweeping everything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you. I'm sure you have a hot take about it as an artist. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 interesting to me. Uh, I like I like human art myself. I'm always slow to come around, even though you know, like it took me a while to sign up for TikTok. I love it now, but um, you know. 
I'm I'm reluctant. I'm resistant to AI a little bit, but uh, I'll come around. I think it's here to stay, of course, um, and I think it can be used in a healthy and helpful way. Um, but I, I, I I've been watching uh, some some artists on TikTok who are Photoshop experts, and they help they help uh, you know with um, graphics and things like that for companies. But Photoshop now has come out with a new um, plugin where it can take a photograph and you can expand it and Photoshop will fill it in. It'll fill in the picture. So you might have only a little picture, you know, I literally seen this this morning before we were talking. I just had and, you pick it up as one. Yeah. Photoshop will create a larger picture with more background and whatever. <coughs> It used to take Photoshop experts hours to do that, and now, now Photoshop with AI is is uh, generating and propagating these images, you know, for for in seconds. Like it's just mind blowing, and so that's going to put people out of work. That's just you know plain and simple. It's going to put people out of work. So uh, it it has an upside for sure. Um, it has a downside. My my son, he said, "Hey, Dad." He's in he's in the states right now. He's like, um, "I'm in Canada, by the way. I don't know if you knew that." Uh, um, he's like, uh, "Yeah, I'm using AI to help build my website." And he said, "Here, let me just say, who is Naked Pastor?" And in a few seconds, he read two paragraphs back to me that AI had uh, generated about me. And it was totally right on, 100% accurate. And I thought, I might just have to use that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was totally free, and it was, and it took seconds, you know. So yeah. there's something positive about that, but there's also something negative about that that's kind of frightening. Um, and also, uh, I'm, I'm concerned about my fellow human beings that are going to be put out of work because, you know, copywriting um, is – I know copywriters – we're feeling challenged by that right now. So, and artists, yeah. And I, and I messed around and put my myself in there to see what it pull up about me. And it called me a comedian. And I went, I've never used that word about myself, but I do try and tend to laugh and have a good time. So, okay, we'll go. go with it. Which just kind of, like I said, blew my mind when it came up with something that I hadn't thought about. So, yeah. Oh, so Look at the clock. We've got about a minute 30 left. So nakedpastor.com. Yep. Every, every, every social media known to man and one that yep. we haven't figured out yet. Uh, <laughs> anything else that you want to make sure we get out there before you, we kick you off here? No, that's good. Yeah, my home base, my uh, um, base camp is nakedpastor.com. And uh, from there, you can find me on, you know, on Amazon and all my art and prints, mugs, T-shirts, stickers, you name it. And on, I'm on, I'm naked pastor on all social media platforms. So, so good at getting back to people. He is. And we've, we've, we've hammered this interview for probably a year now, but we've made, finally made it happen. So that's all that matters. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and one last, the final question I ask around here, the most yeah. important question of the interview, what's your favorite breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I'm an intermittent faster. So uh, I don't eat. I, I do the eighteen six window where I, I don't eat until noon and then um, I, I finish eating by six o'clock. Uh, I'm a real health nut. Um, and that's one of the things I do. But um, I'm looking forward to having some high fat Greek yogurt with some berries and nuts and granola here in a few minutes. So. So I guess I guess that would qualify as a breakfast, even though yeah, it's not bacon and pancakes. <laughs> I'm breaking my fast, that's for sure. Yeah, so I'm doing it with a kind of a breakfasty kind of thing, but I'm I'm kind of a, I call it my Cheeto diet, where I'm I'm kind of keto, but I cheat a little bit, so I call it Cheeto, and uh, but that's that's the diet I kind of stick to. And is there uh, any Cheetos in that diet? <laughs> no Cheetos. No <laughs> chips are my weakness. Chips are my weakness. Uh, I feel that. Yeah. Well, David, I appreciate the time this morning, and uh, thanks for. Thanks for all the art and all the fun stuff you do. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.
You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.